It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. I am David Rothkopf, and I am here in our cozy studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in our nation's capital. And spread out across the world as our panelists. We have in Washington, D.C., actually, Ed Luce of the Financial Times. Um, not sure where Ed is. Where are you right now, Ed? Uh, I am in the office. In the office. Well, they have, they, do they recognize you? You seldom are it's there. Rare yeah, rare occasion. <laughs> um, and then uh, we have coming towards Washington, D.C., uh, in her brand new Honda Pilot. Uh, Rosa Brooks on Route 97 must be going across Maryland someplace. Is that is that accurate, Rosa? That is. That is. I'm, I'm somewhere in Maryland, and I'm I'm getting closer to you. Well, we, we all are grateful for that, and you're with your kids and your dog. And you feel free to let them chime I in. I am. Well, they have strong views, especially the dog. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> not surprising. And, of course, the person who's made the smartest choice is uh, our friend and regular guest, Katie Fang, who, of course, lives in Miami and so has a luxurious life in the sunshine while the rest of us are freezing, uh, but periodically takes breaks. And where are you right now, Katie? Uh, David, I'm in Park City, Utah, where the snow has been relentless. And I use that adjective because I'm not used to <laughs> this much snow. We've had about, I think, about 15 inches since yesterday. So I'm, it's beautiful, but it's, uh, it's something I'm not used to. 
Um, yeah, really, we feel all of us feel yeah, for I know you. you guys feel so badly for me. Th- that you're Aww. sitting. Are you skiing? Or are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm skiing and uh, doing work and hanging out. You know, just just trying to just catch up with my family. Who who the new norm for my family is? Mommy's not around very much, so. So just trying to hang out and, and spend some time. Well, with feel 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 free to have them join in the the conversation yeah, we too. We can make this a family episode, Katie. I was going to say there. I may have one of those BBC TV moments where we may not be on TV, but I may have a four year old come barreling in here. So my apologies in advance if that happens. I don't but have my dog have here though. You won't have a Filipino nanny chasing after him. <laughs> So yeah, and I don't have the dogs, so no arrr in the back, so we'll be yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. We, I, I, I usually the past couple of weeks have been the one with handling that. Well, so there's lots of stuff going on. Let's start with something that's not really super foreign policy, but may have some political ramifications in the United States, um, and that is the slow motion train wreck of the governor of Virginia. And the only reason I bring it up, even though it's kind of off our beat, is this is just a horrible, ridiculous story. And Katie, why don't you provide us with your take on it at the moment? I'm, I'm, you know, life has been moving pretty quickly for all of us, and especially in this Trump administration. I, I was getting to the point where I felt fear for myself that I was getting almost numb to the daily transgressions and the insanity that has become, uh, and I'll use the phrase again, the new norm, but this one really takes the cake. I mean, I, I, I did not predict the evolution of this Northam train wreck. Uh, at first it was, I'm a sorry, not sure which one of those horrific images is me, and now it's, it's not me, but I did do the shoe polish for the Michael Jackson thing. I, I mean, I'm just really scratching my head. Um, and, and the, seems the like a kind of a... seems like a kind of weak defense. You know, well, that may not yeah, be me yeah, in blackface, but I was in blackface another time. And hey, I can do the moonwalk, but my wife has just admonished me not to. I, I just again, I, I don't think that I ever could have predicted the evolution of this defense and defense is even used lightly because I don't think that would ever be a defense in any jurisdiction in any world in any type of space. So, you know, people are really kind of celebrating this to the extent that it's the downfall of a Democrat. I think it's just horrific to have to deal with this and it's, but it's, it's compelling. I've heard people say, oh, this happened decades ago. Should he be judged for it? Other people saying, no, he doesn't get judged for it um, if he apologizes. But we haven't heard really any of that coming out of him. So I, I, I do concede we do crazy things when we're younger. But last I checked, I haven't put anything like blackface on myself to go and pretend to, to do something. So I don't know. I, I find this whole thing to be troubling and the fact that he just won't say it and own up to it and then graciously resign is, is bothering me. Uh, yeah. Now, Rosa, isn't there some other story layered on top of this about his potential successor, Lieutenant Governor Fairfax? And Yeah. So, th- I mean, this is just an, an awful story. Uh, I, I, I found it shocking. Uh, you know, we were talking about 1985 and he was in his mid 20s, uh, not 17, you know, mm. um, um, he was in his mid 20s. Douglas Wilder was about to become the first African-American governor of the state of Virginia. Uh, 
people knew. You know, there wasn't there wasn't some sort of bubble in which you could plausibly think at age 25 as a medical student uh, in Virginia that it was totally okay to post pictures of people in blackface and the Ku Klux Klan. Um, so I really was shocked by this. And I, I, I do, I agree with Katie that, you know, maybe if he had done a sort of real apology right away, but now these sort of prevarications in which he sort of kind of even seems to be now suggesting that, you know, maybe there's a production error and that picture just kind of snuck onto his yearbook page, which is ridiculous, you know, that, that, that he's, he's making everything worse. And I think, making it very clear to to Virginia voters, of whom I am one, uh, that uh, he's not not the guy anybody thought he was and not to be trusted and he needs to step aside. But here is where the second story comes in. Um, if he were to resign, uh, which which I think about 99 percent of the population seems to think he should do, um, the next in line in the succession would be the lieutenant governor of Virginia, uh, Justin Fairfax, Suddenly, what surfaces is allegations that Justin Fairfax was involved in a non-consensual sexual encounter uh, 15 years ago, which which he denies. Um, there are even rumors that Northam's aides have released that that particular allegation. Who knows? It's getting really ugly and really depressing, uh, and we don't know a whole lot more than that at this point. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty awful. But Ed, it raises a question. Or at least this question seems to have emerged among some of our, uh, you know, chattering classes, which is, you know, maybe it's okay to be racist at a certain point in your life. And maybe we should give racists a certain break. And maybe there's a, a an age of consent for racism or something like that, some threshold where, you know, if somebody wants to be the leader of a state in a party that's anti-racism, it's still okay to be a racist. And I'm just wondering how old, how old can you be and still get away with being a racist, Ed? I'm not sure whether there's an age cutoff point. Um, Look, I mean, the one thing I would say mostly to be contrarian is that, you know, if, if indeed he had come out and he'd said, look, this was a disgrace. I own, I own it completely. Um, you know, this was um, uh, an extraordinary um, different time and I was a different person and I'm embarrassed and ashamed and I repudiate myself. I would be inclined to say, okay, carry on as governor of Virginia. And one of, one of the reasons that uh, I'm strengthened in that view is that, you know, I've heard several African-American pastors um, saying, look, we, we believe in, uh, as Christians, um, the capacity of people to, in, to change, to improve, um, to repudiate past behavior and past dances. And that's how progress happens, is we accept people have changed. Um, but I think that Northam's denial of this um, and the way that he's handled it um, has just just been extremely unimpressive. Um, it shows that he's not prepared to face up to something that's clearly banker rights. You know, that was on his, it, it couldn't be a publication error. Uh, and therefore, you know, he, he ought to have gone long since. He ought to have gone by Sunday morning. And, and, and you know, here he is still, still in place. Um, I mean, I expect he is going to go shortly, but um, as, as of this broadcast, still in place. Uh, but I would just sort of emphasize that thing. Uh, you know, I don't think there's a cutoff age 
uh, after which you know racism um, becomes unacceptable before before which it's fine i think racism is never acceptable but i do but i do think it's worth sort of probably making a rather unpopular point that if people that, that if people do change and they do admit what they what where they were in deep and profound error, there ought to be up to a certain point, depending on what it is that they did, there ought to be some capacity to um, say, okay, we accept you've changed and we accept the reasons um, that you've stated for having changed are authentic. Otherwise, there's a lot of people out there and there's a lot of people out there we want to change um, who are not going to change. They're going to think, well, regardless, if there's something in my past that's going to nail me, regardless of what I do, I'm never going to change. So, you know, we've talked a little bit about Northam, who apparently had um, insensitive racist impulse at some point in his prior life and has then devoted the rest of his life to better causes, as far as we know. Um, tomorrow or the, you know, Tuesday night, we're, we're going to actually get to hear a man who's devoted much of his life to racism, um, talk, um, uh, from a position atop the most powerful nation in the world where all the politicians in his political party are defending, uh, him and overlooking his racism. And that of course is the president of the United States. Um, and, uh, I'm wondering if you think this kerfuffle at all uh, is not a kerfuffle. It's a serious issue. But this 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 Virginia incident is going to have any impact at all on the context of the Trump speech. Ed. No. Oh, are you asking Ed? Sorry, my bad. <laughs> no, that's OK. Dive right in. No, he's going to spend most of the time. Well, you know, and thank you. You know, I'm exercising ladies' privilege, right? He's 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 going to spend the state of the union talking about the state of his stupid border wall. So I don't think that he's going to to jump into the fray on the northern issue. Um, he, he's not. I mean, he's always quick to pass judgment on other people, and he's a hypercritical man, and he never does the self inflection, right? He never kind of self reflects, but. Um, no, he's not. He's going to spend all the time talking about the human trafficking and all the insanity that he likes to lie about that's unsubstantiated and doesn't have any factual corroboration. And that's what he's going to do. He's going to save the northern thing for you know, some impromptu presser where he decides to opine on the state of racism in Virginia or something. But I, I don't think he's going to expend any of his precious time talking about that tomorrow night. I think he's going to deal only with the border issue. Well, and I, I uh, you know, I sort of meant, you know, how this will color the presentation yeah. of what Trump does, because, of course, his border wall is fundamentally racist, right? He's trying to keep brown people out. You know, we've got um, uh, 2,000 miles of border that he's dealing with, and, and you know, the rest of the U.S. border is, depending on how you're measuring it, 12,000, 14,000 miles, and he's not interested in that, and that's because part of it— nope points the ocean and part of it points to Canadians doesn't seem to bother him so much. Um, right. uh, so, you know, it's, that's, that's, that's part of the, the context. And what are, what are your expectations from Trump? So, so I think he's going to actually in one, in one respect, pick up on Northam because you, you remember two, three days before this revelation, um, he, um, he had um, spoken out in favor of a bill um, that would permit late-term abortion 
in Virginia, and that had whipped up a sort of great frenzy um, uh, on the right. And and so, and I think Trump, you know, he knows he knows which side his bread is buttered, and he knows how strongly important the evangelical vote is to his to his cratering poll numbers. They've remained hard um, uh, in their support for Trump, and uh, the abortion thing will, will just be away. I, I suspect he will reference Northam. Um, he has, of course, also. Um, said that uh, well, Ed Gillespie, who Northam defeated in that gubernatorial race, you know, was or his team was guilty of malpractice because they should have used this stuff um, uh, to, to blow Northam out of, out of the water. Um, I think, though, you know, more, more generally, um, you know, Trump, as Katie said, Trump, Trump, and as you and as you said in your question, Trump's got one one goal here, which you know is to. Uh, is to show that he's won on the border wall because he's not going to get a deal before February 15th and he cannot afford another government shutdown. Um, so he's going to have to uh, roll over and agree to whatever compromise this um, joint conference committee in Congress comes up with, which it, which will have to be Nancy Pelosi proof. So to avoid humiliation, he's going to declare a national emergency. Whether he does so during the State of the Union, uh, you know, or uh, on February the 15th, I don't know, but I don't see any way out of it for, for Trump. When, you know, people are discussing, people are discussing this as being his last moment to sort of pivot to be the classic centrist, triangulating president looking ahead to his re-election. I do not see that in Trump. I do not see him capable of doing that. And, and so I don't think you know, there'll be some conciliatory passages sort of randomly scattered that will mean nothing, um, <laughs> that will mean absolutely nothing. Um, that's, yeah, I think that's, could you could write a column, and that could be the whole column. Um, <laughs> um, and Thank would, you. Thank you, David. I will plagiarize that suggestion. Yeah, no, just, you know, like, keep, keep, keep it crisp. Hey, you know, one of my favorite questions for this podcast um, is, is something that we like to call here Constitutional Crisis Watch. Um, and you sort of framed, <laughs> brought it brought it to mind here, uh, Ed. Uh, typically, when we talk about constitutional crisis, we're talking about um, you know, Trump firing Mueller or Trump doing something that undermines this. But but Rosa, let me turn to you as the um the the host of our sub show called Constitutional Crisis Watch, uh, and our favorite guest, uh, and ask you a question. Um if the president of the United States um declares a border wall emergency in order to do a workaround um, over the around the the Congress's control of the power of the purse. Would you consider that to be, you know, um, a potential constitutional crisis watch moment? Well, David, everything is a potential constitutional crisis, um, but unfortunately, uh, it's Congress that gave him the emergency powers that he is quite likely to invoke, um, that Congress left loopholes in a couple of key pieces of legislation that essentially enabled the executive to, to declare an emergency. And it's, it's a little bit more complicated than that because there are constraints on what money can be used and so forth. Um, but he probably can get away with it and make a legally plausible argument that all he's doing is exactly what Congress permits him to do. 
now, you know, the challenge would come on, wait a second, as once, you know, not, not that people haven't said this many times already, but that there really is no crisis at the border, um, or to the extent that there is a crisis that's one of its own making, and it's largely a, a humanitarian crisis. Um, and obviously, the only remedy for a president who is lying and making up crises that don't exist in order to win politically, the only remedy is you wait for the election, you vote out, or you impeach him. So I'm, I'm not sure we are, I, I'm not sure anything really changes uh, if he invokes his emergency powers to fund the wall. Um, but you could just evoke in, invoke emergency powers to fund a wall, even if there's no emergency and no evidence of an emergency? So I'm, as you know, since I'm, I, 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 I'm on the road, in fact, I'm happy to tell you that I'm now on the beltway, so I'm getting ever closer. Uh, I don't have the statutes, the relevant statutes in front of me, um, but it's not, a, it's not an all-encompassing emergency power. I declare martial law. I now get to do whatever I want in the whole country. You know, it's a fairly constrained uh, emergency power subject to fairly tight statutory controls. And, you know, again, I, I think that while you can certainly make an argument, and I would be very sympathetic to it, that he is, you know, would be misusing those statutory emergency powers and stretching, stretching their definitions uh, at a minimum, um, I think his argument in favor uh, of emergency powers is, is, is legally plausible. Not necessarily legally winning, but sustainable. Yeah, sustainable. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and you know, there again, we don't like that one. Congress bears some responsibility here. Um, there are there are many statutes in which Congress sort of says, "President can't do this or must do that," and then has a little, unless he decides it's really really important not to, you know. Um, and this is one of those situations. Okay. Well, let's let's jump from constitutional crisis watch to another of our favorite hobbies here, which is um, obstruction of justice or witness tampering watch. Okay. <laughs> um, oh, Lord. Yeah, well, this is where we are, Katie. I mean, this is where oh, the country is. You're in Park City. You're in Park City going, you know, oh, let's shuss or whatever it is you're doing there. But, um, shoes. Uh, well, in, in any event, um, let me direct this question to you, and that is, what do you think the odds are that the president at some point during the course of his remarks tomorrow night um, does something that is either obstruction of justice or witness tampering? In other words, makes a threat, um, suggests somebody's a bad guy. You know, I'm just trying to think of, you know, what what is the norm these days for the president well, he, talking you know, about a case? A tweet. Well, well, you know, he either does it via tweet. I, you know, I think, I think the, the State of the Union tomorrow is going to be a little bit more of a scripted event. But, so I would be surprised, but I've been proven wrong by this president several times when it comes to acts of decency and humility and, and legality. Um, but I would be surprised if he went a little bit off script and started screaming witch hunt. He could. I mean, that is his common phrase for him, but... I would be surprised if he started talking about Roger Stone or anything of that ilk during the State of the Union, but there's nothing to say that he wouldn't try to attempt that during a tweet or some other type of public statement beforehand or thereafter. I think that he is going to focus so much on this issue of 
the border wall. And I agree with Ed and Rosa that I think that he's either going to do it during the State of the Union or he's going to wait till the 15th of February to do so. But I think today, specifically, they're having closed-door proceedings in the Paul Manafort case in D.C., um, where they're having the presentation by the Mueller team as to how Paul Manafort lied and violated his plea agreement. And these are closed-door proceedings. We don't know specifically what's being presented. But I do think that there's going to come very shortly thereafter the, the heavy hammer of some serious sentencing for Paul Manafort. And that's when you're definitely going to see more and more from Donald Trump. And let's not forget, you have Michael Cohen testifying this week as well on Friday or Thursday, I'm sorry, um, before Congress. Uh, But again, that's a closed door proceeding. So we don't know what's going to be said, but we do know he's going to make some type of he as in Trump will make some type of horrific witness tampering tweet or statement publicly about how Cohen's father-in-law should be watching out for himself and how Cohen's a liar, but of course, people like Michael Flynn and Paul Manafort, who are about as knee-deep in it, if you could get, um, are good guys, and somebody like Roger Stone is a good guy, and everybody else is a piece of crap. So, And, I, then, I and, then, a few, and then a few words in Cyrillic that say, watch your back, right, in Russian, you know, just... Yes, you know, that's right, that's right. Because I mean, there's, there's never any compromise for him and Roger Stone. Else, right? It's always the rest of us that uh, that apparently have something going awry. But yeah, I just this whole thing with Roger Stone and the character and whether and and whether or not that's going to come to play. And I and and I was talking the other day about how Donald Trump Jr. and his phone calls immediately preceding that June 2016 Trump Tower meeting and how Trump says it's complete exoneration and exculpates him from any type of criminal liability. And I just think that's nuts. Of course, it doesn't do that. So, but Trump's been relatively quiet, all quiet on the Trumpian front for the last maybe 24 hours on these issues. Well, that can't continue conceivably. That can't uh, last. Yeah. Um, that's it's at least been our experience. By the way, I do want to point out um, uh, uh, before we leave this uh, subject that, you know, we're trying a little experiment here at Deep State Radio. And that is that during the State of the Union, you will be able to go to our website, and we're going to have what we call Mystery Politics Theater, where the State of Love. the Union will be going on in the background, and an intrepid team of commenters will be commenting on the State of the Union in real time. And this Love. will be led by uh, CIA spy girl herself, Emily Brandwin of Washington for Beautiful People, with... Asha Rangappa, former FBI agent who is a professor at Yale Law School, and Molly Jong-Fast, a writer and commentator, uh, all of whom have very sharp senses of humor. Um, And, uh, you know, if you, uh, and are very smart. And so if you listen, you will get the kind of play-by-play that will almost certainly be better than listening to the actual speech itself. Um, Anything would be better. Nails on a chalkboard would be better. But no, I agree. Those are some powerful, sharp-witted, very incredibly talented women. So that's a power trio right there. Yeah. Well, and we're we're we we, we, we you know that's something we're trying to develop here. Um, in fact, all of all of our shows depend on sharp-witted, uh, powerful, and and brilliant women, uh, and and succeed despite the men. Um, Ed, are you going to like have we to? We love you, Ed. 
Ed, Henry, Henry. I thought you were going to turn to me next. Yeah. Are you going to have to write something about and the State of the Union? And if you have to write something about the State of the Union, have you already written? I do. It, yeah. I do. There will be there will be a sort of hyper hyper caffeinated moment sometime after ten thirty p.m. tomorrow night where I give my my hot take. Um, do you um, do you vape? Do you vape while writing? Um, well, you see, you're allowed to vape. Uh, you're allowed to vape indoor. You're not allowed to vape on flights uh, or in schools, but you can vape. You can vape indoors most places because there's a secondary effect from it. Uh, I I I see. So, do you vape and write? That's a, a pretty direct question. Um, I I do as long as I'm not in a public space. If if, if, I'm, if I'm writing from from home, then then yes, I do. I mean, I, I you know, I should I should add here. I know there's a very, uh, I know there's a very polarized debate about vaping because on the one end you've got teens being recruited into nicotine, which mm-hmm. are all these all these flavors, um, you know, which should absolutely be cracked down upon. But on the other end, you've got sort of ha- quite hard bitten smokers, cigarette smokers, like myself, for whom vaping is an absolute uh, lifesaver, um, literally. Um, because you 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 feed you carry on um, you know feeding your nicotine addiction, but without any of the harm that comes you know from the danger of emphysema or lung cancer or all the other cancers that are associated with cigarette smoking, and it's much easier to kick vaping um, than it is smoking. So um, I, you know the, there is that end of it too, and I don't think we should lose sight of that. There's a lot of science on this. I think um, we need to stop that, making fun of Ed's vaping unless it turns out he gets he does strawberry flavored vape. Uh, <laughs> no, mango. I, I, he does mango vaping. Just, mango oh Virginia Virginia classic tobacco. None none of none of these team none of these team flavors. Yeah, right. I'm I'm using the new cancer flavored vape, which really cuts right to the point of it all. Um no, but this is the point. This is the point. I'm sorry to, to put the labor. You don't get cancer from vaping. Nicotine's like caffeine. It's bad, you know, but it's it's totally fine oh, compared to smoking it. You went there? Complete... Oh, my God. I have, like, my fourth cup of coffee of the day. No, boo. <laughs> I'm really glad that we're dealing with this this serious stuff here. Um, but I, I I want you to know what's really going on, because my initial question was, Ed, are you going to have to write a column? What's the column going to be about? And he immediately went off on some evasive tangent about vaping um, uh, rather than actually. You said you said, do I vape when I write? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, vape when you yeah, no, that's true. I wonder. Um, I well, anyway, go off on a tangent. I'm not going to be vape-shamed. That's why I, I will not be vape-shamed. It's an unmixed <laughs> blessing for people who want to give up smoking, and I, I'm not going to climb down on that. Yeah, no, and it's I encourage all of shaming our, in today's culture. I encourage vaping. all of our listeners to go to uh, follow, you know, to Ed's Twitter handle, which I believe is at Edward G. Luce, and, um, and vape-shame him directly on Twitter, so we don't do it actually here on this. this. And, and they will all fail, one by one. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, Ed. You know, you're like a world-class journalist, and this speech is going to happen tomorrow night. Um, and surely you've you've thought of the angle for the for your column about this speech. Tell us in advance what that is. Well, actually, um, I haven't because 
you know, Trump, if you remember two years ago when he gave his first state of the Union, well, it wasn't technically, it was his first address to the Joint Houses of Congress. Um, uh, he, um, he gave a, what, in the context of having a few weeks before given the American carnage inaugural address and tweeted as manically um, and offensively the Muslim ban and all this stuff, suddenly gave this relatively presidential sounding speech. And that was when Van Jones said, you know, oh, he's presidential. Um, and um, I wrote a piece <laughs> then saying, no, he isn't. This is this is just a scripted speech for, you know, a specific occasion. But Trump is Trump and will remain Trump. And I got quite a lot of pushback from some some colleagues saying, no, 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 Trump is now, you know, morphing into the presidency. Um, and so, you know, he's capable of giving a perfectly, well, a relatively conventional speech on Tuesday night. Um, and... The punditocracy is capable of saying, ah, now he's pivoted. Now he's moving to the center and preparing for his re-election campaign. He's talked about prescription drug price control. He's talked about infrastructure. He's talked about bipartisan things. We are all so capable of falling again and again and again for the same tricks. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I think he's quite capable of giving that speech. And I'm, I'm quite capable of saying bullshit. It's um, Trump is Trump. Leopards don't change their spots. So I guess you're right, actually. I, I have written my column. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Earlier, Katie, you mentioned another of the highlights of the week ahead, which is the Michael Cohen testimony. Not quite sure why it is he's testifying in front of the Senate, but he decided not to in front of the House. But obviously there's going to be a lot of interest there. And although this will be a closed hearing, I think, right? Um, it is closed, yeah. Um, you know, nothing that is closed is quite closed if it's on Capitol Hill. Um, since say things, not in Washington. Right. Nope. Things, things tend to leak out. What would you like, think? Like uh, Donald Trump's executive time, his executive sixty percent of the last three months spent in his executive time. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, you. no, it's like what is that? I mean, his staff can't stand him. Obviously, to to go out and re, you know to release in detail the records that show that he doesn't actually do anything as do president. Do anything? Oh yeah. yeah. It's it's astonishing. But 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 Michael Cohen. You know, everybody says, and I. I saw that New York Times interview with Trump and, you know, Trump was like, I'm not a target. I'm not a subject. They told Rod Rosenstein. And then some one of the New York Times intrepid reporters then said something to the effect of, well, what about the Southern District of New York? And he's like, I don't know what that is. You know, I mean, he. He's like, what? Can't be <laughs> violence, what? Yeah. Stormy Daniels, what? Karen yeah. McDougal, what? He's right. like, he's, he's just. He's moronic. He thinks that there's. He thinks he's a Teflon Don, um, and that it only involves the Russia probe, and that could be the only thing that could take him down. And that is just his biggest Achilles heel. It's that egotistical, moronic, you know, attitude that this man has that he thinks that he's above the law. But there's a million and one things that are circling the drain on this guy, and it only takes one thing to really make him go down the drain with it. So the fact that he thinks that there's Nothing going on with the Russia probe is absurd. Uh, yeah. So what do you think if you're, you know, these senators and, you know, some of the Republican senators will be like, why are you such a bad person, Michael Cohen? But yeah, why are you such a liar? Why do you lie and 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 so forth? But but presumably somebody's going to ask him some serious questions. 
What, what do you what do you think this is going to focus on? Well, I, I think not. I think I know that you're right. It's, it's going to be a twofold experience for Michael Cohen this week. One is going to be the GOP is just going to crucify his credibility and they're just going to character assassinate the man when he comes to testify before the Senate. Um, even in a closed-door setting, without the opportunity to grandstand, they're still going to do it, right? I mean, it just, you just can't help it. And they're, and they're just going to character assassinate him and say that it's not possible or feasible that he could possibly tell him the truth about what? Well, then the next round of questions or the, the, the other polarized end of the questions will be, tell us the truth about how much the campaign and specifically Donald Trump and the other kind of top-level campaign members knew about the WikiLeaks the DNC hacking, and any type of Russian assistance that was provided to the campaign in order to target and or take down Hillary Rodham Clinton during the 2015-2016 time frame. And he's going to be asked these pointed questions, and I'm dying to find out what he says. Because everything thus far that's come from Michael Cohen's side I believe, has some independent corroboration through evidence that's been seized by the Mueller team or the Southern District of New York. And that's the reason why he's still being used and he's still being questioned and he's still cooperating. I mean, I know he's doing it to shave time off his sentence, but I'm a firm believer that somebody like Robert Mueller in an office like the SDNY, they would not casually, you know, align themselves with somebody that did not have independent corroborating evidence to back up what he says. Particularly if that person is a kind of serial liar, right? I mean, Michael Cohen is not like hyper credible, right? So no, he's not. I mean, he's a, he's a self-professed liar. I mean, isn't that really, he's owned it. Um, but think about who else has, you know, lied, Rick Gates, Paul Manafort, uh, Michael Flint. I mean, there's a whole bunch of people that have lied. But the, I think the big difference is uh, Roger Stone. But the, one of the big differences, I think, is Michael Cohen having what I think is a tre- treasure trove of evidence of value versus other people just not having the value that they potentially could have provided to the Mueller investigation or other federal investigators. But I think Michael Cohen is pivotal. I, I think that his testimony is going to be key this week, and I think his continuing cooperation is going to be exceptional. And, I, you know, I'd love to be the proverbial fly on the wall this week, but I'm sure, again, like you said, David, at the beginning of this line of questioning, nothing is sacred in terms of secrets there in D.C. Well, we can only hope, right, Ed? I mean, we could just hope that something really sordid comes out of this that reveals even greater crimes by our president and, um, you know, keeps the keeps this story bubbling because, you know, we wouldn't want things to get all boring. No, we wouldn't. Um, I, I, I suspect that um, I suspect that this this is a gift that we'll keep on giving. Um, so I, I don't have any qualms about um, predicting there's going to be a lot more fireworks. Um, predicting when and precisely what is a is a very different matter that I've learned to I've learned to retire from. Well, I just want to ask you one last question before we end this episode, and then we'll, you know, move on here. And hopefully, you're on your way to Richmond, um, or home, or wherever, and hopefully you'll get there safely. But there have been a lot of pictures recently of, of Donald Trump's face, um, which has been quite orange. And then the White House said that it's his, he has his tan because he's got good genes. And I, 
And I, I was just wondering what your view is on that. I think maybe he eats a lot of carrots. Oh, carrot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> poisoning. Excellent vision at excellent night, vision, right? Right. Yeah, That's what my mother at night told me. Yeah, speaking but, of your um, mother, by the way, I have another point of this on genetics. Yeah, I saw oh, a tweet. Okay. Uh oh. We're, we're moving right along from Donald Trump's arms complexion. To your to mother, mother, Rosa. Yeah, but I saw I a tweet from your mother in which she made a swipe at Japanese uh neatness expert Marie Kondo and said she's pro clutter. And I'm just wondering if that's a genetic that's, thing. And are you pro clutter? Uh, no, it is not genetic. It is, however, uh, an accurate statement from my mother. <laughs> <laughs> um, my mother is very pro clutter. Yeah, no, I. Causes some tensions. No, Your it's... mother does not want to be Marie Kondoed, I take it. She does not. She does not. And if this is very problematic because my daughter is a big Marie Kondo fan, so it's causing a real rupture mm. in the family. Uh, yeah, well, that is Flutter a source of tension. My, my mother, who died a couple of weeks ago, and many of you had written nice things about that, and I, 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 I'm grateful for all of those. Uh, she was on the OCD side of the spectrum. And, you know, to honor her, I've straightened every picture I've walked by for the past two weeks. Uh, that's <laughs> Good for you, David. Just, just one of those shows small things that I know she would appreciate. Unfortunately, I feel like I'm probably going to have this compulsion for the rest of my life. But, um, you know, that's what mothers do for us. In any event... I recently tweeted. Yes. I recently tweeted that, because um, I am a fan of Marie Kondo, uh, I tweeted recently that uh, I was not going to touch Donald Trump, but that he did not spark joy, so I thought we should get rid of him. Good point. Good point. Well, these are condoisms, you know, the Marie Kondo. If only, if only. She's changed. White House I'm not squeezing him. Flooded. I'm not touching him. No, no, that's. that's a, would 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 any of you do an orange face? Just just put orange on your face, uh, like. Uh, nice, nicely like the, brought back like, full circle there. Ed. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, I. But I why does he? Why does he do that? Doritos. I could smear him on my face. I guess. But why did they do that? Why does Donald Trump and also Roger Stone put on these yeah, clown, him? these orange clown faces? Who is that fooling? You know, I mean, it's. <laughs> it, I just don't there's understand. Some, a, I think I think there's a there's a thread to be drawn between Trump and Stone's ethics as human beings and their sort of behaviors in their private life with women and swinging in studio 54 and their tans the, their their tanning bags explored yeah explored a bit yeah more. no i have I, to I say it's a, to it's a pity that Corey is not on Corey was ill today um because it, it would one be of, a visual she did not need right and one of the stories i saw was that roger stone apparently went to the same swinging club as some Russian KGB agents and in Washington. And I was like, wait, not what? That is definitely a visual we do not need. We, we don't. I'm, yeah, I'm not surprised at all because Roger Stone, like, in addition to being bright orange, sometimes glows pervert, right? I mean, this guy seems very bizarre. But... The whole notion of some club, some night, not too far from here, Roger Stone slinking in at 11 o'clock, maybe with his wife and the, and KGB agents. And I mean, 
in our nation's capital? Is this possible? Ed? Maybe the KGB agent gave him his Nixon tattoo. Maybe he's, maybe that's wow. how that happened. Wow. Yeah, maybe I'm, that... I'm inclined to think it's possible in, I don't know, you know, one of, one of the Florida places that, that Stone hangs out in or New York or wherever. <laughs> I just can't, I just can't imagine a swing club in the Beltway. <laughs> but sorry, sorry to, you know, you think I'm skeptical about the location. Oh my God. You can just imagine the, oh, Oh, I'm with Corey. That's just a visual I could do with that. Well, folks, look, we've covered a lot here. We've covered the State of the Union. We've covered the state of these trials. We've covered the Michael Cohen stuff. We've covered, um, you know, Roger Cohen. We've covered, you know, many issues. The Virginia governor. Yes, we talked about vaping a little longer than I thought we were going to. But at the end of the day, we covered a lot of important things. We became full circle from the sh- the, the shame of of racist use of blackface that is going to drive the Virginia governor out of office to the possibility that someday in the not too distant future, the use of orange face will be considered just as shaming and a dis- just as much a disqualifier from office. Um, and, and so, you know, I consider this to be a well-rounded episode, even with our technical difficulties of having people come in from everywhere. So thanks for joining us. For those of you who like this sort of thing, um, uh, go to deepstateradionetwork.com, become a member, get a mug, get a water bottle, get a t-shirt, but, you know, help us in some way, uh, continue all of this. Uh, if, if for no other reason than, you know, that we'll be able to afford Xanax for Ian, our engineer, as he deals with people coming in from all these different kind of connections. Um, but, uh, you know, it also gives you access to a whole bunch of other stuff. And that includes this week, um, uh, Washington for Beautiful People. Uh, it includes Mystery Politics Theater, special State of the Union report. It includes uh, an upcoming great ish, uh, edition of National Security Magazine featuring um, the uh, chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Adam Schiff. You won't want to miss that. And um, and more, you know, daily newsletters, weekly tech newsletter, all that other cool stuff. So if you go, you give a few bucks, it helps us go on. You get a mug and a T-shirt. It's fantastic. Go do that. In the meantime, please join me in thanking Ed in a cloud of vape, um, and Katie in a puff of snow, and Rosa somewhere in Alexandria, hopefully nearing her home. Uh, Bye-bye. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find